Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. Today on KUNC's Colorado Edition. Years before the death of Black massage therapist Elijah McLean, two families attempted to reform the Aurora Police Department through legal settlements. Well, at the time, we felt that the advances we had made were positive and were dramatic. Clearly, they were not enough. Coming up in a few moments, we'll get a deeper look at KUNC's investigation into legal settlements with a focus on some that tried to create change and whether those efforts were successful. Today is Wednesday, March 30th. I'm Erin O'Toole, and this is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Eleven cities in northern Colorado paid $50 million over the past decade to settle 205 allegations of police brutality and other abuses of power. That's the finding of a KUNC investigation into police payouts. We heard the first piece of a two-part series from investigative reporter Michael DeOanna on Monday. Today, in part two, he takes a close look at Aurora, a city mired in reform in the wake of a multi-million dollar settlement last year following the death of 23-year-old Elijah McLean. And just a quick note after the story, we'll cover an additional finding of these investigations, a lack of diversity among Aurora's police force. Elijah McLean's mom, Shanine, is wishing that she could travel back in time. Honestly, I just need one chance to get that day back. She's wishing that she could somehow scoop up her son and carry him far away from the lonely street he was on the night of August 24th, 2019. Friday. Give me from Friday to the Friday to the, you know, the night he was killed and I guarantee you he won't be killed on Saturday. That's when Aurora police stopped him, saying he looked sketchy. He hadn't committed any crime. He only kept insisting on continuing home. But officers wrestled him to the ground, placed him in a carotid hold, and later, paramedics sedated him with the powerful anesthetic ketamine. He went into cardiac arrest in an ambulance and, days later, was taken off life support in the hospital. I can't, I can't get my son back. His death prompted outrage around the world, and a $15 million legal settlement. The only thing that um, the officials in Aurora can do is give money. Elijah's priceless. There, there's, there'll never be nobody like him. She hired lawyers, including Kusair Mohammedbai in Denver, who is part of the interview. He turns to Shanine McLean. We're sorry. And offers an unexpected apology. We may have had an opportunity to prevent Elijah's death. To understand why Shanine's attorney would be filled with regret, you have to understand that Aurora police essentially promised to prevent unnecessary deaths in two settlements years before McLean's death. And Muhammad Bai worked on one of those settlements. A second Denver attorney, Daryl Kilmer, worked on the other one, which traces back a generation to 2003. In Jamal's case, I mean, the physical evidence was, you know, pretty compelling. Kilmer is talking 
talking about Jamal Bonner, an unarmed black man who was killed by Aurora police during a sting gone wrong. Bonner apparently startled when officers rushed in with guns drawn. He was shot three times in the back with an MP5 submachine gun. They blame it on a split-second decision-making, life-or-death situation, which, of course, they caused. They set the whole thing up. The city finally settled with Bonner's family in 2007, paying them more than $600,000. They also got something rare, an apology from police and promises that policies had been reviewed and changed to, quote, minimize the possibility of future harm, along with greater oversight for uses of force. But in the years that followed, Aurora police had a pattern of settling serious allegations involving police. 42 times in the last decade, according to a Colorado Open Records Act inquiry by KUNC. The tally tops $22 million for cases that involved allegations including excessive uses of force, false arrests, constitutional violations, and at least five more wrongful deaths. Justina Carter lives in the suburbs of Aurora. Hi. Justina? Michael? Yes. Hi. Carter was part of a $2.6 million settlement in 2016 after her husband, Nashalis Carter Vincent, who was black, was shot and killed by police. He was portrayed in news headlines as a fugitive parolee, but Carter paints a different picture. Very smart man, intelligent, and just... Oh, and he was an impeccable father. He had eight kids, one of them with Carter, and was working to find a new path in life after prison. But the path got rocky in March of 2015. Well, we had an altercation, and the police were called, and he didn't want to go back to jail. So he cut off his ankle monitor. That sent an alert. And in the ensuing days, Aurora police would investigate, acting on information characterizing Carter Vincent as a drug abuser with violent tendencies. As he walked on a suburban street on March 6th, officers leapt out of their vehicles, and he made what officers described as a jerking movement, seeming to remove his hand from his pocket. One shot, high-powered rifle, straight to my husband's chest. Carter Vincent was not armed. A grand jury cleared the officers, but the wrongful death settlement with his family outlined changes for police. Similar to the Jamal Bonner case, more scrutiny on uses of force, more oversight and review. Yet the city settled 15 more times since that settlement, bringing this story full circle to Kusir Mohammedbai, whose firm hammered out the Carter Vincent reforms, and to his apology to his client, Shanine, who nods as she listens. Well, at the time, we felt that the advances we had made were positive and were dramatic. Clearly, they were not enough. And for that, Shanine, you know, we're sorry. But one provision in the Carter Vincent settlement seemed to make a difference. More body cameras. And in 2019, when officers stopped Elijah McLean, their body cameras were recording. And in 2020, amid Black Lives Matter protests, the Colorado Attorney General's office started a Patterns and Practices investigation that wrapped up late last year. It found a culture where police handled people of color differently, unnecessarily escalating encounters and resorting to force. A lot of things have come to light. 
a lot of things that we're not proud of. Aurora Police Chief Vanessa Wilson welcomed the findings and the prescribed solution, independent oversight. We're not going to shy away from reform. Wilson declined KUNC's request for an interview to talk about those reforms, as well as our findings about past settlements. Instead, the city provided a long list of reforms, many of them implemented since Wilson became chief in early 2020. State Attorney General Phil Weiser is watching closely. I recognize it's not easy to change culture and to make this sort of progress. In an interview at his office in Denver, he says a legal agreement between the state and Aurora called a consent decree will ensure reforms are made. Because the public needs to be able to have confidence in their law enforcement. Asked about those past reform efforts and the Bonner and Carter Vincent settlements, Weiser said, In the past, there might be private settlements. I'm not familiar with the one you mentioned that don't have the same oversight capacity that we do. But families are doubtful, including Justina Carter. You're shaking your head no. <laughs> no. She's concerned about the pattern of settlements. No. Racial profiling. Weiser told KUNC that officers across the state can be trained to have more empathy. But Shanine McLean doubts that. You can't be trained to have humanity. You either got it or you don't. Bad officers, she says, simply should be taken off the streets. Michael DeOanna, KUNC. Joanna joins me now to talk a little bit more about his investigation. Michael, welcome. Hello, Erin. You had so much information about settlements. I'm wondering what drew you to this topic in the first place. Yeah. Well, you know, as I alluded to in my first part, uh, which ran on your last episode of Colorado Edition, the headlines fly by quick. Uh, it seems, you know, there's news of a settlement every other week. Right. Just last week, a jury awarded George Floyd protesters almost $14 million in their allegations that Denver police used excessive force against them and violated their rights in 2020. Yes. Uh, you know, that's one of those headlines. And actually, it wasn't a settlement. It was uh, awarded by a jury. uh, So not part of the $50 million tally I identified over 10 years in northern Colorado. But that's really my point. I mean, it's uh, in the news and then gone. And as one expert said, uh, police appear to return to business as usual. So the the purpose of my story was to zoom out and uh, get an idea for the big picture. And as uh, the data I got with the series of Colorado Open Records Act requests I filed show, uh, there are way more settlements than headlines. A lot of cases get very little attention, and in the more than 200 settlements I received, it really is just skimming the surface because I only looked at the 11 most populous cities in our region. I have to ask, why 11? That's an odd number. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I started in Loveland because of the Karen Garner case and then expanded to the 10 most populous cities in northern Colorado, Denver to Fort Collins, Boulder to Greeley, and all the cities in between from Lakewood to Longmont. Basically, just wanted to get a a snapshot of the biggest cities in northern Colorado. 
Right. And just a reminder that Karen Garner is the older woman with dementia that police stopped and forcibly arrested in 2020, uh, injuring her. And the settlement in that case was $3 million. And you touched on how there was a legacy of settlements in Loveland leading up to that case, which made international headlines. Today, you narrowed your focus to Aurora. And I want to ask you about the issues surrounding police diversity that you uncovered. Yeah, unfortunately, there wasn't enough time to get into it in the broadcast piece. Yeah, I need more time. (laughs) And I'm also real thankful that I have the chance to share those details here. They're also online at KUNC.org, of course. Uh, You know, the big takeaway is that police promised years ago that they would work to make the Aurora Police Department more diverse and reflective of the community. The thing is, they haven't made much progress. Okay, but what's the backstory? I mean, how are you you able to make a a bold claim like that? Okay, so recall those two key settlements I mentioned in the story we just heard, the ones for the families of Jamal Bonner and Nashalis Carter-Vincent. Right. And in both settlements, Aurora police agreed to double down on improving diversity. In the Bonner case, they agreed to support recruitment efforts and attract more people of color and women. And in the Carter Vincent case, police said they would work towards, quote, a more diverse and inclusive police department that mirrors the community that it serves. Well, this makes me think, how diverse is the Aurora community? Very. <laughs> just just a snapshot of the main racial and ethnic groups. Uh, you know, the city is 60% white, 28% Hispanic Latino, 16% black, and 6.3% Asian. What I wanted to know is how close the police department came to those numbers, right? Because... That would be the ideal. So I asked the police department for diversity data uh, for 2007 when the Bonner case was settled uh, for 2017, a decade later, and last year, which is four years after the Carter-Vincent settlement. So those years would be milestones that could have been reached in good faith over the years. Exactly. But when I asked the city for the data, they told me it wasn't publicly available. So I had to file another Colorado Open Records Act request to get it, which means it's not available for the community to check. I have to say that doesn't seem to bode well for progress. I mean, it feels like if they had reached those milestones, they'd tout that pretty heavily. What exactly did you find? Well, let's take one category, black officers. Remember I said Aurora is 16% black, but as of last year, just 4.2% of police staff are black, according to the data I got. And going back all the way to 2007, just 4.6% of the department staff was black. So no progress And there's not a lot of representation of black officers in high-ranking positions over the years, or women either. Hmm. What about other categories? We've posted this online, and you can go see a really great chart by our web editor, Jackie High. So I'll just say that other minority categories made some progress. But when it comes to the big picture, the idea of mirroring the community, the numbers are far short of the ideal for Hispanics, Latinos, Asians, and women, who, by the way, are chronically underrepresented in the department. Now, what did the city have to say about this? You know, I would have asked Chief Vanessa Wilson about this if she had agreed to an interview with me. Instead, 
I got a statement from Aurora that said it has contracted with a public safety recruiting firm to attract employees that are, quote, more reflective of our diverse community. So there's that language again. Um, the department has also implemented a diversity, equity, and inclusion program to train personnel. And I also asked Attorney General Phil Weiser about this issue, and it's one his office is concerned about. He said the hiring pipeline appears to have problems. We identified some concerns about how the Civil Service Commission processes had operated and called for changes in approach to it. We recognize that's going to require some work. The city has said they're willing to put in that work, and the consent decree monitor is going to oversee it. Well, I'm wondering about Justina Carter and Shanine McLean. What do they think? Well, like Justina Carter told me, as you heard my story, there's a feeling that there's still racial profiling going on in Aurora. And that's not just her opinion. It's the conclusion of Weiser's patterns and practices investigation in the wake of the death of Elijah McLean. It it doesn't mean that every officer is profiling, but there's a culture of bias that works against people of color, especially black folks, that the entire department is being asked to overcome. As for Shanine McLean, you know, she thinks a police force that better reflects the community can prevent deaths like her son's. You, you got to have somebody that looks like you, that can understand what you're going through so that there's some type of uh, um, understanding. You know what I'm saying? You have to get somebody that understands the community, the the struggles, um, the ups, the downs. You have to have that that understanding in order for community to survive. We should add that three police officers and two paramedics are facing criminally negligent homicide and manslaughter charges in Elijah McLean's death. Yeah, and uh, court proceedings for the accused will be moving forward in the months ahead. You know, I attended uh, one of those hearings a few weeks ago, and Shanine McLean was there. She told me that she will be in the courtroom at every opportunity to hold space for her son. Michael Dayuana is KUNC's investigative reporter. Thanks so much for coming on today. You're welcome. And you'll find parts one and two of Michael's investigation into police settlements, along with the data behind the story at KUNC.org. In fact, there's a really cool data visualization where you can learn about settlements in your northern Colorado city. You'll find links for all of this in the show notes for today's episode. And before we wrap up, just a quick update on the recovery process from the Marshall Fire, which erupted three months ago in Boulder County and destroyed more than 1,000 homes and businesses. A district court judge earlier this week dismissed a lawsuit against the county related to debris removal. In a written order, the judge explained that the plaintiff, an organization called DIGS, had no standing to file the suit because it has no connection with Boulder County. This means cleanup efforts, which had been stalled, are now moving ahead. Property inspections are underway, and crews are expected to start doing the work, removing ash, foundations, and driveways, starting next month. The county estimates the job will cost around $60 million, paid for largely by insurance money and federal dollars. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. Our executive producer is Sean Corcoran, Digital editing is handled by Ashley Jeffcoat. Our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. 
And if you're already signed up, we'd be so grateful if you'd take just a moment to give us a five-star rating and a brief review of the show. It really helps other people to discover Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back with you Friday with more news from Northern Colorado.